morning and welcome to this week's Read All About It. I really hope you managed to get hold of last week's books and are enjoying them as we speak. Just to remind you that last time we talked about The Blue Girl by Laurie Foose, The Truth by Michael Palin and Tale of Two Cities, of course, by Charles Dickens. Now, our classic this week is Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. But first, Nuri, it's your turn on Show and Tell. What have you brought today? Well, today, well, we seem to have, uh, I'm just peering over at your book, and it seems like we've got a theme, which is um, heterosexual relationships. That's right. Which are quite, which are quite rare these days. Uh, well, they seem to be, yes. I think, I think <laughs> we should uh, have a campaign for heterosexual marriage. Or sex, at least. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's well, what my book's about. <laughs> so, this is, yeah, well, message to married people here, perhaps. Um, uh, my book is, is called uh, Major Pettigrew's Last Stand, uh, and it's by Helen uh, Simonson. And uh, it's quite funny, really, because it's, um, it's written by someone who, who spent most of her life in America. But it's, uh, it's been greeted as a classic British novel. It's one of those lovely stories that you get lost in very easily. Uh, so it's about a 68-year-old man who uh, opens the door one day and sees his neighbour, Mrs. Ali, who, um, you know, people would think she's Indian or Pakistani, but in fact she's never uh, been further than the Isle of Wight. And yet, uh, of course, as this friendship grows, um, the the families of the, the two main uh, characters in the story, they're petty and difficult and uh, make assumptions, which is where all the fun comes in. Oh, I love these late-in-life romances. So what happens from there? Well, it's really about values because, of course, um, I mean, it's actually quite a scary book because it's about... Uh, the values that adults have that the, perhaps the, many of the young generation don't have. Like, uh, for example, um, the, the Major Pettigrew's son is a, is a financier and he's dealing with horrible villains. And uh, when Major Pettigrew says, do you want to deal with these people? The son replies, oh, it's pragmatism, Dad. It's called the real world. If we refuse to do business with the morally questionable, the deal volume would drop in half and the good guys like us would end up poor. Then where would we all be? The son asks. And then the, the father replies, well, we'd be on a nice dry spit of land known as the moral high ground. Ah, the moral high ground. You see and that value? That's an important value for, yeah. for, for the older generation. And yet the modern generation, you can just hear Hong Kong bankers in that. Oh, for, pragmatism, pragmatism all the time. Pragmatism right? is actually the scariest word in the world. It I is think. one of the scariest words. It's touted like a virtue and it's not. And it's not a virtue. It means basically I'll throw away my values because uh, I'll get some money this way. Yes, that's which right. Is just, or we'll get things done this way, which is a, a, a terrible, terrible thing. So do they really fall in love? Well, because, you know, we're talking about people in their 50s and 60s, we don't have the big romance. It's really uh, their growing friendship. And that's what it is. It's a very proper friendship. It's really a, a tool for which the writer can, can poke fun at values, modern values compared to, to, well, we talk about them as old-fashioned values, but in fact, they're, they're universal, classic, eternal values. So um, that, that contrast really uh, runs through the books, uh, book and makes, a, uh, and makes it genuinely funny. Like, uh, I'll give you another example. At one stage, um, the son says... Dad, why do you get rid of all these shelves of books and I'll buy you a nice big television so you can have something to do in the evenings? Uh, and again, uh, you know, you can see in Classic Valley as well, book reading is something to do with in the evenings. Exactly. As opposed to watching reality TV on a big screen. And do they both like reading books? 
Uh, yes, the thing that um, that uh, triggers the uh, the friendship is the fact that Mrs. Ali is carrying a bag full of plastic-covered library books. Wow. So, again, that's an old value. You see, yes. modern young people, they just go and buy stuff. Older ones go to the library because it's cheap and it's, exactly. you know, it's easy. Yeah, And it's also more environmentally conscious, actually, when you think about it. Yeah. That's right. So uh, so we've got uh, basically a comedy here um, about about old values uh, disguised in a really funny story about uh, a growing friendship. I think I think uh, the other thing that's startling about this book is the choice of characters. Um, people in uh, books and movies are tend to be beautiful, dynamic, beautiful, glamorous, and all the rest I of it. Reading sexy, somewhere yeah. that the average male hero is always age 34 mm. so james bond was 34 <laughs> captain kirk was 34 you know because that's the age when men are sort of still young and handsome but also brave and clever and you know major pettigrew is 68 so exactly mm. double the official uh, fictional male character's uh, proper age and uh, again you know women in books are always you know young beautiful with mm-hmm. tiny waists and huge breasts mm. and uh, of course mrs ali is uh, in her in her late 50s so um, uh, it reminds me of when um, the movie Up came out by Pixar. Yeah. Up is about an old man. The main character is an old man. And um, Pixar's uh, shares fell because people said, you can't make a movie about an old man. It was about young people. And yet it, was, it won all the awards going. And what's the dynamic between them? Is, you know, what's the relationship like? Does one have uh, an upper hand in any way? Or does one lead and is the other one more dominant or submissive? Uh, no, they're, they're, they're equals in the sense that they're both um, feeling their way in a very unlikely, difficult uh, situation where each, each family completely misunderstands uh, the other because the, the families are narrow and represent people with, with, with no values. Uh, it's funny, something happened this morning that made me so mad and reminded me of this book, because um, someone put on the, onto Facebook something that was completely untrue, and I just said, uh, oh, actually, that's not actually true. That's, you've got that from a fake news site. You know, it's a sort of useful thing to do. I got really ripped into by that, people saying, um, how dare you say this thing? Do, you know, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. You know, it reminded me yesterday, um, some, there was somebody misquoted and I said, well, he didn't say that. It was actually this guy who said that. I got 28 people oh writing gosh. in saying, who cares who said it? It doesn't matter. And well, it actually does matter who said it. Yeah. It? So in a way, this book can be a sort of um, what lesson for our times. <laughs> it is definitely a, a lesson for our times, um, not just about relationships. And it's not I mean, um, I hate to use the word romance, but obviously there, there's an element of that in it. But it's it's actually a book about uh, values and uh, the classic values that this society, you know, Hong Kong more than anywhere else, I think, just completely loses um, the, the the love of pragmatism and and what we lose when we go for pragmatism, and that's good reason to read, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't literature always about what matters and what endures? It is. Yes, literature is is about those underlying values that society doesn't see that society skates over the um, the technical structure of the book is actually um, uh, we can be a bit professional here okay. it's a three-act structure Ooh, uh, yes. as recommended by mfas and screenwriting uh, <laughs> classes as well and in fact we look in the history and we find that helen simonson did do an mfa so um it, it's interesting though because i mean people people often criticize mfa programs 
but uh, in fact, they do a useful service. <laughs> they do a very useful service, yeah. and this book, you know, won all the awards. And uh, it, it yeah. and she does, she actually does stick to the um, to what's been found by. Uh, analysts of novels as the popular form Uh, and and it works it it does work you know three acts or else it's five you know i mean there are certain forms that actually do work yeah and as long as you're fresh and original on top of that structure then it's fine i think to use this classic structure and this book is a perfect example of how you can use a traditional structure and yet be fresh original and uh produce something Totally valuable, a work of art. And do we get both characters' point of view, or is it is it a third person narrator, or is it uh, first person? Uh, yes, uh, we we get lots of, of different points of view, and, and and a chance also for lots of cultural things. So we've got this stuffy British, mm-hmm. and we've got the Indians, who you know the <laughs> ones who just arrived, who yeah. talk like that, and then the ones who have been here for one generation and look Indian. Tall like that, you know. I'm from North London. Yeah. My name's Rajiv, <laughs> you know, and that's okay. That's so real world. So, do you think this is something that, and I hate to be sort of stereotypical about it, but do you think this is a book that women would prefer? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think it's it's comedy, and comedy's uh, equally great for, for for both sexes. So, so go for it. Uh, the book uh, we're discussing, Major Pettigrew's Last Stand, by Helen Simonson. Today, I've brought along also a three-part novel, believe it or not, a first book by a young French writer, Emma Becker, and it's called Monsieur. Um, this is an erotic novel. I've heard about this. It's a bit naughty. It's a one. naughty book, yeah. And this is, I guess, France's answer to Fifty Shades of Grey, which didn't do very well in France because they already had this, as Publishers Weekly said. Um, now, it's, it's a really unusual book because it's told in the first person, and it is semi autobiographical. So the writer is a young French woman who... Yes, she is. And the main character in the story is Ellie Becker. Guess what? Pretty close to her name, right? Oh, I see, right. Emma Becker, Ellie Becker. Yes. And the setup is this. This is um, a young woman who's 21. She's a student of literature. This is already dangerous. And she wants to be a writer, which is equally dangerous. And she loves reading erotic novels, erotic fiction. And so, you know, she's from a fairly well-educated family and she has an uncle, Philippe, who, um, who's a doctor. And he has a colleague who's quite well-known, a, a surgeon, a, a plastic uh, surgeon. Um, and he, uh, he apparently is well-known for the fact that he also likes to read erotic novels. And so it's suggested to her that maybe she should go speak to him. And she goes, oh, my God, really? So this guy is 46 and she's 21. And guess what? They meet. They start texting each other. She checks him out on Facebook. It's very contemporary in this sense. And they send each other. They start sending. It's not just text, but sex texts that's going across (laughs) to each other. And, of course, this naturally culminates in a full-blown affair. He is, of course, married with five children and all the rest of it. And it's a secret affair that lasts all of eight months. Five children. I know. What's he doing still going after 21-year-old girls? Well, it it has, uh, you know, it's quite graphic in parts, you know, because um, they don't meet very often since they have to do it in secret. And they meet in the 15th arrondissement in this um, little hotel somewhere. And, um, you know, they have these 
really rather it's rather S&M on some level you know uh, they both have a taste for the sort of transgressive kind of sex and this is how they can play it out but I think the thing that's quite interesting is that we actually she's brutally honest and the way she's talking about how she has fallen very hard for this guy even though she you know puts on this air of being very sophisticated and she has all kinds of other boyfriends in the meantime you know she's having sex with all these other guys and she talks about that and what is true though is that she's in the sort of not exactly victim situation but she is not in the advantageous situation because he goes back to his wife and his family and she in the meantime has no future with him and she begins to realize as the story spins out that you know it matters very much to her because she has in a way, fallen in love with somebody she actually doesn't know except sexually. And this is what's interesting about the novel. Um, it's the mistress's dilemma, really. Isn't it, it is the mistress's dilemma. And all, on the one hand, you know, she's very, you know, content, modern and intellectual and she's, you know, feminist and thinks she's very, you know, free and all the rest of it. On the other hand, here she is caught in the oldest dilemma in the world. Um, and in a way, the question that she's raising is why does a woman keep saying yes to a man who's not going to love her? Well, he says he does, but it's always, you know, love in the moment of sexual, you know, encounter and, and who can't really love her, but will have as much sex as she's willing to engage in with him. And she tells all her friends about it and her sister uh, and her boyfriends even are, are all in on this. And everybody only knows him as Monsieur because he's terrified of having this found out. So he doesn't want prominent. his name. No, his name doesn't. He, he can't have his name, you know, bandied about. Bandied about, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but what's interesting, since it is um, uh, semi-autobiographical, in, um, in some of the uh, um, interviews about the book, um, she said the most important reason she wrote the book was to keep in touch with him. Because as the story unfolds, he, he's a very e egotistical man. He's quite a good-looking man at 45. Um, and, you know, he's got very long, beautiful hands. He's in pretty good shape and all the rest of it. And, of course, he's very sexual. Um, it's that he says to her, well, why don't you write about us? Why don't you write a book about us? And so she does, because she is a writer after all. And so she begins to write this and, and as a way to sort of, and there are long stretches where she doesn't see him, when, especially though know, it's summer holidays, he's off with his own family. So how does she get through this? She reads chapters of this novel she's writing to her <laughs> friends. Um, and, and she said that the novel is filled with dreams she had about him, things she would have wanted him to know, things she should have said to him, the secret she kept all the things that she actually couldn't say. There's one scene, for example, where she imagines that the wife catches wind of him having an affair. So she, she creates this whole scene, which of course she couldn't possibly be witness to, of him coming home and how he talks to his wife about this and how he makes love to his wife. And it's a way of, of saying that she knows on some level of course he's in love with his wife and he would never leave her for me. I mean, this is a risky uh, 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 a place for, for a literary writer, isn't it? It is. And, you know, the, the book has had sort of mixed reaction, um, especially from young, younger women. They either really despise it and say, oh God, what's she doing? You know, this, it's so tedious because it is filled with a lot of the sort of psychological angst of a, of a young woman who's a, a mistress to an older man. Um, but on the other hand, 
hand, women also love the book. And I'm saying women because I've seen most of the reviews I've seen have been by women, although there have been some by men as well. Um, um, really like it because it's so bold. It's, it's sort of in the tradition of like Anais Nin and the sort of soft porn she wrote. Um, and so, so on the one hand, it's kind of like, yes, why shouldn't she say all these things? And in a way, the novel is sort of exposing him. But she, he ref, she refers to him as C.S., in the book. So those are his initials, but they're never spelt out. But then we do know from the beginning of the novel where she runs into the guy that she realizes is his eldest son and his name is Charles. So, I mean, that's fairly a, know, a, a bit of a clue there. You know, the um, it's said that ever since the Bad Sex Award, you can't write about sex because uh, somebody will mock you. Uh, is this... Is this is this bad sex or good sex? This book, of course, you could take sections of it, especially the graphic sex sections, and and you could easily, you know, mock that and and call it bad sex. And you know, anytime you you write erotica, anytime you you venture into that genre, if you like, it's bound to have some bad sex, especially if it's graphic, because you know you can't do it in a nice way. <laughs> um, but really, much of the book isn't really about sex per se, but about how one thinks about it, how one is obsessed by it. And in this case, these are two people who, interestingly, like your couple in, in the novel you brought, are brought together by books. They both love literature, except that they love erotic literature. <laughs> and that's <laughs> what they talk about. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. So, uh, so is there a connection between literature and sex? It's, it's a tricky one, because um, when you think of literary books, literary books normally don't have any sex at all. And and your serious sort of like you know Booker Prize type writer would wouldn't go anywhere near a sex scene. Well, there are sex scenes, but they're always kind of tamped down, or you mm. know they they happen off stage, if you like. This uh, with erotica it does happen on stage. That's the difference, I mm. think. Mm. You know, is it still a, a good book in a literary sense? Um, well, it's an it's a first book, and I think it opens beautifully. I think some of the writing is really gorgeous in there. Um, it does fall down in parts because, you know, she is this young girl, the situation's a little predictable, and some of that gets a little bit drawn out too much because it's this like, oh, how much I'm in love with him and how I, I can't stand it. It's like, you know, and, and goes on a bit long on that score. But overall, I think it is a pretty good book. It does uh, come together. Uh, the ending is particularly interesting, I think, you know. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, are there bad words in it? Do we keep it away from the, oh, the children? Oh, lots of bad words. It, it is definitely not a, you know, PG-13, you know. <laughs> you know, the funny thing that we always say, actions speak louder than words. This is a situation where I think the opposite is true. Because in the end, it's the words that matters. It's it's the story she writes. Because the action is basically them having sex, which in the long run is not very interesting or even very important. But it's it's what she takes away from it and the, the, the record she keeps of it and the story she finally tells. And the fact that she launches a career as a writer as a result <laughs> of this. It sounds like this book isn't a book for everybody, though. So I, I know when I get to a sexy enough and just stop reading the book. Yeah, I have to agree that it, it is, you know, it's an acquired taste. But anyway, I think it's well worth a look-see, you know. It's Monsieur by Emma Becker. And uh, we've been talking uh, about uh, recent books. Uh, so that's uh, Monsieur by Emma Becker. And we've also talk been talking about Major Pettigrew's Last Stand by Helen Simonson.
So let's move on to our classic, which is again about a relationship on some level. Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. A wonderful, wonderful book, and uh, one of the one of the all time greats, I think. Published in uh, eighteen forty seven. Um, I believe it had eight rejections. Can you believe yes. eight rejections? From and she book sent that it out under a, a masculine pen name, yeah. Cura Bell. You know? And it was published under that name, yes, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, That's yeah, right. You know. Yes, yeah, three-volume classic. But um, now, of course, um, it was considered shocking then. But uh, now, of course, all the kids are made to read it. So exactly. times change. But it's funny, you know, in rereading parts of the, the book uh, when I was preparing for this uh, broadcast today, I realized how close psychologically some of what Jane Eyre expresses is similar to Emma Becker's book in Monsieur. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for, for for listeners who may not have read uh, Jane Eyre, it's uh, it's a story of uh, a young woman who is is basically ill treated by first her family and then she's sent off to um, a school where she's ill treated at the school right. and um, she ends up with a very strange, funny but crazy man. And she escapes from him uh, because he his dark past starts to come out. So, um, uh, you know, it, when I say it like that, it sounds gothic. But in fact, in those days, it, it almost invented the gothic it genre. did. Yeah. I mean, it was one of the, the, the novels that was important in the gothic genre. Um, it is a, on the melodramatic side um, as a result. Um, but But it also does detail what a younger woman, you know, who meets an older man and she's she's a plain but very feisty woman, you know, because Jane Eyre is feisty. And from a literary point of view, it's, um, it introduced a sort of intensity of, per, of, of, of personal voice that didn't really exist in literature before. Um, before Jane Eyre, something happened, then something else happened, then something else happened. But um, this sort of intensity of feeling was reserved for poetry, you know, John Donne and That's people, right. George Herbert. Yeah. But after Jane Eyre, you, we've got this very intense personal uh, uh, first-person narrator uh, telling, this, uh, telling this story and uh, and it's a great story, isn't it? It is a great story. I mean, I, you know, every time I go back to it, I think, you know, it's a great read, you know, because she she gets you with that voice from the beginning, and the fact that she she stands up to her cousins who mistreat her, and stands up to Rochester, the man that she ultimately marries, you know. Yeah. So there's a there's a, there's something in it for the for the proto feminist. Oh yes. And uh, <laughs> also, it's very it's very. Spiritual and full of values, because every time somebody tries to bend her values, she won't stand for it. She absolutely won't stand for it until, in a funny way, Rochester. Mm. That's the one person that she will concede to because she does fall in love with him. Yes, but although even even with him, remember, he, at one stage he says, uh, "Let's go to a different country. Let's go to India together. Nobody will know whether we're married or not." Yes, and, and she, she says, "Oh no, no, you no, no, don't. no, you don't." Yeah. Like no, that. she had a very strong moral center. Jane which is is something that's interesting about her. But it also introduces the idea that these two were sort of soulmates because, Mm. you know, they're both reasonably intellectual. They have conversations in the evening. Because at one point, you know, Rochester, there's this Miss Ingrid uh, that comes along, or Miss Ingham, I think, or Ingram. Ingram, Yeah, Yeah. and uh, Ingram, that's right. And she's a very beautiful society lady, but she's an airhead, basically. And, and Jane, you know, just looks at this woman and, you know, she's, she's furious and jealous and all the rest of it. But um, she also knows that this woman is terrible for, for Rochester. Yes, and, and what a standard trope that's become in modern movies, mm. you know, the guy about to marry the wrong girl because yeah, she's rich and beautiful yeah. and the real girl is, is waiting at the side. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, mean, uh, the, I mean, 
what I always find interested is uh, interesting is Charlotte Bronte's family. Um, mm. John Bronte, her father, was born very poor, uh, an Irish penniless child. Who, who made his own career. He got himself into Cambridge. He started a school at the age of 16. Uh, he became a, a very respected minister. So these sort of moral values were, were, were deep in Jane's uh, upbringing, in Charlotte's upbringing, and that's why she put them into this, uh, into this book, gave it such power. I think so. You you really do see that because you know there uh, there are always uh, characters who are you know um, in the, in the church, for example, clergymen, um, because that was very much her life. So she did draw very closely, I think, from her own life for, for her novels. Yeah. And the other thing is, is I like, I mean, uh, Charlotte Bronte is on record as being rather rude about Jane Austen. And uh, I, I kind of like, <laughs> I you know, that. Darcy, for example, is you know, big and strong and handsome and all this. But Rochester is also strong and handsome, but he's, he's kind of like... Oh, no, he's ugly. Yeah. He even he's, says so when she first meets him. You're yeah. ugly. Kind of. Yeah, and, and she's also described as plain. plain so yeah. so he's admirable, shall we say, rather than handsome. Mm-hmm. And also he's funny, isn't he? He's very yes, funny. Yes, they both have a sense of humour. Yeah. Jane has a marvellous sense of humour. She yeah. really is kind of witty and ironic. Yeah. And um, the scene when, when he proposes to her is one of the funniest in the book, actually, yeah. I think, yeah. And do you remember there's that part to where uh, he says, but I'm hideous. He gets, he gets injured. I'm yes. hideous now. Am I, am I totally hideous? And she says, uh, yes, actually you are. <laughs> but I'll still love you anyway. Yes. You know, it's such like a modern sitcom almost. In a way, but it's also because Jane just has to speak the truth. She speaks her mind no matter what, you know, and sometimes to her peril. But, you know, that's what she does. Yeah. That's her character. Um, we're discussing Jane Eyre, which is the, the classic from uh, 1847 by Charlotte Bronte. And um, we're finding that it has a lot of uh, modern value to it. That's right. And I, I kind of wonder why did we choose this one? I suppose it resonates a little bit with both the books that we, we decided to bring this week. That's right. Uh, this rare, wonderful thing called um, heterosexual... Sex. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So before we start our campaign for say for, for different sex marriage... Yes. Um, <laughs> We look at different examples. Well, actually, we've done that today, really, haven't we? We looked at three different examples of books about heterosexual relationships. Yes, and it's funny because we didn't really confer on on the list. I mean, I think we talked only briefly about which classics we might choose. Must be psychic, some spiritual Something connection there. Something kind of like the soulmate thing that happens with Jane and Rochester. Perhaps. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, actually, that's a that's a good point. Remember, remember, he, he when uh, when she's about to marry the wrong man, he, mm-hmm. she hears his voice like I know. spiritual. <laughs> magical thing it's amazing. yeah that's a bit bit over the top but still you know it's the 19th century i suppose it can happen and it's gothic <laughs> uh, that's right magical realism yes 100 there you years go. before anybody else tried it <laughs> yeah uh, and we've found that um you know despite different different norms of different generations if you have the right values um it's still okay to go against the norms isn't it that's right and that's what was interesting about all three books we talked today they all challenged norms in a way yeah, they challenge norms and you can break the norms as long as those underlying principles are the same. So that's all we have time for today. The books we've been talking about today are Monsieur by Emma Becker. And Helen Simonson's Major Pettigrew's Last Stand. And of course, Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte is our classic. Goodbye for now. Goodbye for now.